Open with me to the book of Jude, toward the back of your Bible, just before John's revelation. Well, Jude, we'll begin in verse 3, and I'll read down all the way to verse 13. Our focus will be from verses 8 to 13, but for context's sake, let's begin in verse 3. Hear God's word. Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation... I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith, which was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain men have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were marked out for this condemnation. Ungodly men, who turn the grace of our God into lewdness, and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. But I want to remind you, though you once knew this, that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not keep their proper domain, but left their own abode, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. As Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them, in a similar manner to these, having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh, are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Likewise, also these dreamers defile the flesh, reject authority, and speak evil of dignitaries. Yet Michael the archangel, in contending with the devil when he disputed about the body of Moses, dared not bring against him a reviling accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these speak evil of whatever they do not know, and whatever they know naturally like brute beasts, in these things they corrupt themselves, Woe to them, for they have gone in the way of Cain, have run greedily in the error of Balaam for profit, and perished in the rebellion of Korah. These are spots in your love feasts, while they feast with you without fear, serving only themselves. They are clouds without water, carried about by the wind, late autumn trees without fruit, twice dead, pulled up by the roots, raging waves of the sea, foaming up their own shame, wandering stars, for whom is reserved the blackness and darkness forever. Let's come to God in prayer. Holy Spirit of God, open now the eyes and ears of our understanding. He who has ears to hear and eyes to see, let him hear and let him see. And as we look into your Holy Word, and hear the exposition of it, we pray. Plant your Word down deep in us and cause it to bear fruit. Open up our ears to hear and lead us in your truth. This we pray in the name of the living Word, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, beloved, if you thought last week was wild, buckle your safety belts. I have a lot to cover, and so I'll be speaking, well, I'll be speaking faster than I'm comfortable with. Here we go. Jude, as you well know, is profiling. He is, he is painting a picture of these false teachers and false prophets who have crept into the church unnoticed. Last week, Jude told us that they are, these false brethren, they are, look at verse 4, they are ungodly. They are, verse 5, unbelieving. And they defy the Creator and His created order, according to verses 6 and 7. Simply put, they deny the creator-creature distinction. 
Well, Jude goes on in verses 8 to 13 to describe these marked men, these, these counterfeit Christians, pretenders, pretenders who are playing a part, pretenders who are fooling the undiscerning. But beloved, they cannot fool God. God sees through the hypocrisy, through the masquerade. He is not fooled. In fact, these men, it says in verse 4, these men are marked out for condemnation. And so today, this afternoon, Jude profiles, he, he describes these men. And this description takes us all the way to verse 13. Jude says that these, verse 8, dreamers, they defile the flesh. What's more, they reject authority. They speak evil of dignitaries. The NASB rightly translates this last phrase, speaking evil of dignitaries as they revile angelic majesties. In other words, they, they speak as though they have authority over angels. Jude says in verse 10, they speak evil of, of what they do not know. He says, woe to them. These, uh, these condemned Mark men, these counterfeit Christians, these, these pretenders have gone in the way of Cain. They have run greedily in the error of Balaam and perished in the rebellion of Korah. Again, Jude stacks the Old Testament references. Cain, Balaam, and Korah. What's more, these are hidden reefs, he says in verse 12. Clouds without rain. They are, they are fruitless trees in verse 13, our last verse this afternoon. Raging waves and wandering stars. I mean, wow. Wow, wow, wow. The descriptions are piled on. That's a lot. And we're going to take each of these descriptors one at a time. And remember, Jude is profiling the enemies of God and the enemies of God's people who come not from the outside. These enemies aren't attacking from the outside. But as we read in verse 4, they are attacking from the inside. And so as I mentioned, buckle up. It's going to be a wild ride. 13 attributes, 13 characteristics this afternoon. Look at verse 8. Jude says, likewise, some of your translations will say, in a similar manner, in the same way. Again, Jude is piling on the descriptions. And he refers to these false teachers, the, these counterfeit Christians as what? As dreamers. The ESV rightly says that they rely on their dreams. Now, beloved, I, I personally don't dream often. I... Uh, I rarely dream. When I go to sleep, black screen. I remember perhaps one or two dreams a year. What's more, my wife refers to me as a dream crusher. <laughs> and so in this context, I take that as a badge of honor. But these marked men, they rely on dreams. They, they convince themselves that God is speaking to them through dreams and visions. Their daydreams, as it were. And, and then they start talking about how, how God gave them this dream or, or, or that dream. 
How God is speaking to them through dreams, revealing the future to them. They are led by dreams and visions. These false brethren are delusional. Take heed, brothers and sisters. False teachers are those who make much of their own dreams and visions. Rather than pointing to the truth of God's word, they direct your attention and our direction to their dreams as if they were from God. As if their dreams are somehow superior to God's truth or at the very best supplemental. Friends, this is, this is madness and delusion. I, I, I can't fathom how so many fall for this stuff and follow the dreamers of dreams. There are people in the Christian church who eat this stuff up and they follow these false teachers. And so I take again the title of dream crusher as a badge of honor. They rely on their dreams. They defile the flesh, Jude says. Now, this dreaming and defiling, they are related. Friends, we have, we have no control of our own dreams. And, and, and as our as our own dreams, they are subject to our carnality. And they are subject to our depravity. Now, I'm not talking about your hopes and dreams, please. Don't confuse me. And so these, these dreamers are led and driven by lust and sensuality. They live for the flesh. And thus, they defile the flesh. Again, verse 4, they pervert the grace of God into sensuality. Hey, jump over to verse 16. Verse 16 says this, that they walk according to their lusts. And then in verse 18, walking according to their own ungodly lusts. And look at verse 19. They are characterized by sensuality. Beloved, please note, among false teachers and in the cults, polygamy and sexual sin and sexual deviance is commonplace. Promiscuity and polygamy or, or some type of adultery or fornication. Well, Jude goes on. He, he says this, These reject authority and they blaspheme the glorious ones. They revile angelic majesties. My translation says this, that they speak evil of dignitaries. And then Jude goes on, and you heard it as I read it. He gives the example of the archangel Michael in contending with the devil, disputing over the body of Moses. I told you it was going to get wild. Now what? What the what? What is going on? The archangel Michael, uh, presumably in the presence of God in the heavenly courts, disputing with, Moses, uh, with uh, the archangel Michael over the body? What is going on? Well, I'm glad you asked. We're going to take this phrase by phrase. First, these pretenders, they reject authority. And I want you to see that they have authority problems. False teachers and false brethren have authority problems. They are divisive and, and have a divisive and contrarian spirit. They have authority problems. And they say, no one's the boss of me. You can't tell me. They speak this way. Oh, it's me and my Bible. Me and my Bible. It's my own personal and private interpretation. These people have become authorities unto themselves. They are their own authorities. Self-proclaimed authority. Self-styled authorities unto themselves. They are divisive and self-willed. Beware, brothers and sisters, of such men. Beware of that spirit in your own soul. 
The spirit that heeds not wise and godly counsel. That rebellious spirit where we think we know better. But as is often true, and as I have discovered, we don't know better. And so we suffer because of our own ignorance and pride. Ephesians 5 verse 21 says that the spirit-filled person is one who is walking in the will of God and submissive, is submitting to one another in the fear of the Lord. The ungodly are not so. Counterfeit Christians are not so. They, they reject authority, Jude tells us. This is sadly particularly prevalent in our American context. American individualism. Don't tread on me kind of culture. We emphasize freedom and, and autonomy and independence. This is the American spirit. Not bad, a good thing. But not to the negation of authority in our lives. The authority of God. The authority of His Word. And the authority of those who minister God's Word into our lives. Faithful brothers and sisters. While the ungodly are marked by their rejection of authority. By an aversion to authority structures and accountability. They, they like to be a big fish in a small pond. This is what we call mock. I don't know if you've heard this expression. It's the big man on campus syndrome. Beware of such people. Now, here's where it gets wild. Look at verse 8. They speak evil of dignitaries. Literally, the text says that they blaspheme the glorious ones. If you're reading an NASB translation, they revile angelic majesties. The NIV says this, they slander celestial beings. And verse 9 unpacks what he means by this slander of celestial beings or, or this reviling of angelic majesty. So are you ready? Here we go. The archangel Michael, at some point after the death of Moses, after Israel's 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, Michael, who is the archangel, archangel meaning chief angel, the archangelos, the first angel in other words, in the order and rank of God's heavenly hosts. He, as the chief angel, was contending with and against the chief demon, with the devil. Apparently there was a battle, as it were, and they were contending over and battling over the body of Moses after his death in Deuteronomy 34. Presumably, this dispute took place in heaven in God's presence. And you're thinking, okay, wow, how can this even happen? Like, what is going on right now? Can this even happen? And let me just say, yeah, I can. You could read about something similar in the first chapter of the book of Job. Satan is brought into the very presence of God by the angels, and there is a contest of sorts in Job 1. And so... Something like that is happening here between the archangel, Michael, and the devil. And they are battling over the body of Moses. And the question is, well, why? Well, bodies were sacred and are sacred. And after Moses' death, his body, his corpse, could have and might have been used by Satan, by the enemy, against God's people to discourage them, 
as Joshua was leading the people into the promised land. In fact, we see this throughout the Old Testament. A a body is desecrated or uh, it is used to discourage and strike fear into hearts. It's mutilated or, or it's burned or dragged through the streets. A body lies desecrated and unburied so as to discourage, so as to say, this is what's going to happen to you if you follow in this man's footsteps. And so Satan, for some reason, I think to discourage God's people, wanted Moses' body. He wanted Moses' corpse. I believe, again, to discourage Joshua and the promised land generation. If he had Moses' body, Satan might have used it to derail God's people. But he didn't get it. He didn't get it. Satan never got the body of Moses. And you can read about that in Deuteronomy 34. We read in Deuteronomy 34 that Moses was buried in an unknown grave in an unknown valley in the land of Moab. Unknown even to this day. Interesting note at the end of Deuteronomy. But I know why. And you know why it's unknown. We know Because apparently Satan wanted the body. You're thinking, are there other places in Scripture that speak of Satan contending? Absolutely there are. If you turn to Zechariah chapter 3, and I'm going to have so many verse references and we've got so much to talk about, you can just jot it down and read it tonight. In Zechariah chapter 3, as the exiles are returning from Babylon and they are returning to the promised land, you can read in Zechariah chapter 3, verses 1 to 3, about Satan who is standing before Joshua, a man named Joshua, the high priest at the time of the return of the exilees from Babylon to the promised land, and he is reviling this high priest. And so they are contending with one another. Or do you remember in Luke chapter 22, This is as Jesus is approaching the crucifixion and looking forward to to that crucifixion. Peter says, Jesus, I will never deny you. I will go with you to the death. And Jesus says, oh, really, Pedro? He says to him, he says, he says, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you. You see, Satan then standing before the incarnate God asking for Peter. He says, no, 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 I've prayed for you. For you. Do you remember 2 Corinthians? Paul? In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul speaks of a messenger from Satan who was sent to buffet him, to humble him. And in that context, God sends Satan to humble Paul. And so can this happen? Yes, absolutely. But here's the point. Here's the point. As they argue, Michael and the devil over the body of Moses. Here's the point. Look down at your text. Not even the most important angel, not even Michael the archangel, he has the most authority, he has the most power to speak, but not even Michael. He didn't even bring a reviling accusation against Satan the lowest of the low, the first sinner, the deceiver, and the father of lies. But instead, Michael, he said, he said, the Lord rebuke you. I'm not going to deal with you. He didn't even talk to Satan, but simply said, the Lord rebuke you. But listen, beloved, 
false teachers. False teachers be talking and acting like they have power over Satan and demonic forces. Friends, a mark of a false teacher is that they're always talking to demons. And they're always talking to Satan, addressing them, disputing with them. We bind you, Satan. We banish you from this place. We, we loosen these demonic strongholds. They start using prayer to talk to demons. In the name of Jesus, this or that. And they do all of that when not even Michael, not even the archangel, he dared not bring an accusation. He dared not respond to Satan. But you have these loudmouth boasters, these false teachers, trying to rebuke devils. No way. No way. Beloved, it is only crazy false teachers like this who think they have some kind of power over angels and demons. Avoid all such people like the plague. They are dangerous. Self-proclaimed teachers. Self-proclaimed authorities, false prophets. Verse 10 says this, they speak evil of things that they are completely ignorant of. Real quick, how should we oppose the devil? We sang about the devil. A mighty fortress is our God. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6, Peter says this, Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. Resist the devil. And he will flee from you. Very simple. James says in a similar vein, James 4, 7, he says, God is opposed to the proud but gives grace to the humble. And then he says this, resist the devil. Resist the devil and he will flee. Submit to God, resist the devil. So simple. None of this talking to demons, we bind you, we cast you out, we rebuke you. None of this talking to spirits. Paul says in Ephesians 6.11, put on the full armor of God so that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. In other words, simply resist him. So plain, so simple. Give him no place in your life, no foothold, no room to work, no unguarded corner of your soul. It's that simple. This is not rocket science. And then look at verse 10. These speak of what they do not know. You ever notice that it's usually the people who know nothing about everything, who have the most to say about anything and everything? Intellectually arrogant and spiritually ignorant. And verse 10 says, And whatever they know naturally, like brute beasts, in these they corrupt themselves. Jude is saying like dumb animals, like brute beasts. Mind you, their understanding can only be natural because they are not filled with God's Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit does not abide in them. The Holy Spirit does not dwell with them. And yet they presume to know the things of God. But they, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, they cannot receive the things of the Spirit. They cannot know them, for they are spiritually discerned. And so they go about flapping their mouths about what they only know naturally. Like brute beasts. These corrupting themselves all the more. They talk about the grace of God, 
but they're marked out for condemnation. They talk about God, but are in fact deniers of His Lordship. Verse 16, they speak great swelling words, Jude says. The ESV, and this is my favorite translation of verse 16, they are loudmouth boasters. The NASB says they speak arrogantly. Beloved, watch out for such people. Make note of them and be careful around them. Well, we need to pick up the pace if I'm going to get through this. If we're going to get to verse 13, you're thinking, pick up the pace. We were going over the speed limit. Well, here we go. Jude says, woe to them. Perhaps you've heard this expression, hoy vey, right? You've heard this? This is a Yiddish uh, expression, which comes from the Hebrew. Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 6, in the presence of God in the throne room, said, hoy li, woe is me. And this woe here in Jude is a woe of condemnation, similar to that of Matthew 23, when Jesus says, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees. Woe to them, Jude says in verse 11. This is a woe of condemnation. Why? Why? Because they have gone in the way of Cain. And they have run greedily in the error of Balaam for profit and perished in the rebellion of Korah. These false counterfeit Christians demonstrate, in other words, a spirit of jealousy and anger. This is the way of Cain. They have a spirit that is dominated by greed and cupidity. The error of Balaam. They are unsubmissive and contentious. The rebellion of Korah. Now, you all remember Cain. Back in Genesis chapter 4, Cain... Cain was an approval seeker. It was was not his desire to worship the Lord his God, but he was an approval seeker. He he was jealous. And uh, you remember he was angry because his brother was accepted and he was rejected. He, He knew what was good, right, and true. He did. He knew what God desired and required, but overcome by jealousy and anger, he killed his little brother. And then he had the audacity to throw it back in God's face. And and then God came to him, you remember, in this moment of mercy. And he asked the question, where is Abel your brother? Who was at that moment in heaven, right next to God. While his body lie face down in a puddle of his own blood somewhere in the field. Where is Abel your brother? And Cain says, how am I supposed to know? You should know. You're God. What? Am I my brother's keeper? The way of Cain. Watch these false brethren. These counterfeit Christians. Look out for the green-eyed monster. Jealousy and covetousness. Anger that wells up in them when they're contradicted or opposed. The error of Balaam. The next in this line of three. The error of Balaam. You remember Balaam. Numbers 22. Maybe some of you don't. But he had a talking donkey. Great story. Go and read it tonight for your devotions. Numbers 22, 
Balaam and his talking donkey. The donkey had more sense than the prophet. And Balaam, as you remember, was a prophet for hire. Pay that man his money, and he will curse you, whomever you desire. My dad, who's not a Christian, he sees these people on the TV who are peddling blessings, who preach and smile, and then they sell you a product. My dad said, those are, I remember when I was younger, those are Godzillas. I said, what in the world is a Godzilla? He said, they're Godzillas. They sell God. My brother's laughing back there because he knows exactly what I'm talking about. They are in it for the money. They are peddling God's word. They are in it for profit. They run greedily in the error of Balaam, Jude says. And, and do you remember? You remember how Balak, he was the king of Moab. He was deathly afraid of Israel coming into his lands. He feared Israel. And so he's like, I got to find me a prophet who's going to curse me, this people. And so he sought out Balaam. He needed a curse on the people of Israel. And so he sent messengers to Balaam. He says, come, come and curse me, this people. Oh, but the price wasn't right. And Balaam, the prophet for hire, said, no, Balak, no, no. Even, he says, even if you were to give me a house full of silver and gold, I cannot go beyond what God says. I cannot come. Well, why did he say that? Why did he say, even if, even if you were to give me a house full of silver and gold? He said, it's not about the money. Even if you gave me that house full of silver and gold. Why did he say it that way? Because that's exactly what he wanted. A house full of silver and gold. And so Balak upped the ante, you remember. And Balaam said, oh, well, you know. In that case, let me ask God. Maybe God will let me go then. If the price is right. Well, you know how the story goes. Balaam took the job. He tried to curse Israel. And then God stopped his mouth. He tried to curse, but only a blessing came out. And so in the end, he couldn't curse Israel. And thus, his client, Balak, was incensed. I paid you good money, and you didn't deliver. And so this is what Balaam does. This is what he does. He says, listen, King Balak, I can't give you your money back. It's company policy. There's no returns on this stuff. But let me tell you what you can do. You can get God to curse them. How? 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 Send all of your sensual ladies into the camp of Israel and entice the men. And they will commit sexual immorality and thus violate God's law and his covenant. Then, then the Israelites will be doomed. And so that's exactly what Balak did. And you can read all about that in Numbers 25. And John tells us in his revelation, Revelation chapter 2 verse 14, that Balaam taught, he taught Balak how to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat foods sacrificed to idols and to commit sexual immorality. These false teachers, these false Christians run greedily into the error of Balaam. They are in it for the money. Show me the money. Thirdly, from the 13, which I don't know which number we're on. But thirdly in the list, they perish in the rebellion of Korah. You remember Korah, Numbers 16. 
Again, you can go back and read about it. Number 16 tells us about Korah. Korah was a priest. He was a Levite. He was commissioned to oversee the worship of Israelites. But Korah wanted, he wanted to be the head honcho. He, he didn't like how Moses was the man. Moses was the man. And you see, Korah, he had authority issues. We've already talked about them. And so he, he also rejected authority, verse 8, if you look up. In particular, he, he rejected Mosaic authority. And he said, Moses, Moses. He says, listen, man, you take too much on yourselves. Besides, why, why should we all look to you? Aren't all of God's people holy? You see, he had that spirit of rebellion. That spirit that opposes authority. That contrarian spirit that always dissents. Always in the minority. Always dissenting. Always contradicting. And so he leads a rebellion against Moses and against his brother Aaron. And they gather a group of rabble-rousers around him, Korah. And long story short, number 16 tells us that the earth opened itself up and swallowed up Korah and his cohort. And so let us take heed, beloved. Of these three, these three vices, the way of Cain, the error of Balaam, and the rebellion of Korah, let us take heed, because these three live in every single heart. I feel it. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Jealousy, anger, greed, covetousness, and a rebellious, contentious spirit. But the difference between the true Christian and the counterfeit is that the false brethren go in the way of Cain. This is their path. They run greedily into the error of Balaam and they ultimately will perish in the rebellion of Korah. While the true Christian recognizes these sins in their own heart and for the love of God and for love of Christ turns from the way and runs in the opposite direction, and lives and is redeemed, not in rebellion, but in service to God and man. Finally, verses 12 and 13. Jude describes these marked men, these condemned counterfeit Christians, as he says they're hidden reefs. Hidden reefs. They lie, in other words, just below the surface. They go unseen, they go unnoticed. At least superficially, you look over the waters and it seems deep and wonderful and blue. They don't seem to pose a threat. They don't seem dangerous until, like the Titanic, it is too late. And they become the cause of great shipwreck. Again, I emphasize the importance of accountability. And that we truly get to know each other in this body. To know our brothers and sisters. So that there be no hidden reefs among us. They are, verse 12, shepherds who feed themselves. In other words, they're, they're serving only themselves. They are self-serving, self-focused, and they expect to be served. They see others simply as a means to their own ends. Oh, they join a church, they participate in her activities, and they do so without reverence, without fear, without a holy desire to see God honored. And not just in the worship services, but they have no desire to see God honored and reverenced and worshipped and praised at the barbecue, at the softball field, in our fellowship dinners, 
in our activities and events, they are participating for their own selfish ends. Again, serving only themselves. Jude says that they're waterless clouds carried about by the wind. They appear to be filled with rain. They have an appearance of godliness, but in fact, empty, waterless clouds. They boast of rain, but then they deliver nothing but dryness and even worse, humidity. They're all show and no go. They are all shadow, no substance. And if you play a sport, they're all talk, no game, no game. And they float about, as clouds do, carried about by the wind. They love to make impressions, uh, moving about from here to there. Big talkers, well, they know this person. They, they know that person. I see it all the time in my world, all the time. They know this pastor and this professor. And, and they talk like, oh, this is my friend John MacArthur. You fill in the blank. John MacArthur don't know you from Adam, okay? And that's okay. But this is how they talk. You can fill in the blank with every, any Christian celebrity you want. Verse 12. Jude says this, they're late autumn trees without fruit. And, and please note, Jude's illustrations, they come from the land and from the sea and from the air. We got trees, we got reefs, we got clouds. Autumn trees, he says. Now, this is what we call fall. The fall season is upon us which is the last harvesting season, the last harvestable crop before winter. And so late autumn, Jude says, marks the end. Late autumn, and yet they are fruitless. They have a colorful foliage. They they look like thriving trees. But upon closer inspection, they are fruitless. All foliage, no fruit. They're twice dead. Dead because they produce no fruit and dead because they have no root. And they're not even cut down. Okay? Instead, they are pulled up by the root. No fruit, no root, doubly dead. Verse 13. They are raging waves of the sea, foaming up their own shame. Now, you take a step back here. The Jews, they were deathly afraid of the ocean of these large bodies of water. The sea was chaotic. It was unpredictable. It was uncontrollable. The deep abyss that is, that is used both in the Old and the New Testaments uh, with reference to evil and chaos. Remember in the book of Revelation, the beast comes out of the deep, out of the sea? There's a reason why he comes out of the sea. The one who causes stumbling, remember Jesus said, you cause one of these little ones to stumble? Right? This is kind of mafioso, right? He says, Millstone around your neck, you're sleeping with the fishes. He says, you're drowned into the deepest sea. Oh, what a horrible way to die. In the ocean, in the sea, by drowning. Or how about this one? Being cast overboard into a raging ocean, only only to be swallowed up by a great fish and lost at sea, as was Jonah. And so these false brothers are raging waves of the sea. And Jude says this, they're foaming up their own shame. I went to Santa Barbara for college. I used to walk along the beach, long walks on the beach, prayer, contemplation. And as I walked along the beach, if you know anything about the sea, the tides change. 
And the sea spits up all kinds of stuff. Seaweed, dead creatures, spare tires. I mean all kinds. Especially after a storm. Especially after raging waves. Foaming up their own shame. I know you all drive around the Bay Area, okay? And while driving over the, the Dumbarton Bridge, there are certain seasons you will see and smell large, salty, stinky, foamy balls of shame. And you'll see them tumbling along with you. And even if you roll the windows up, you cannot escape the judgment. You drive, as it were. Well, these false teachers, they stink. And they foam up their own shame. They speak evil of what they don't know, verse 10. Verse 16 says they're grumblers, complainers, loud mouth, boasters, talking up a big game. And then finally in verse 13, they are wandering stars. And note, notice here the nautical illustration. It's a nautical illustration. Friends, stars are fixed. They provide direction uh, for those at sea who are without compass or map. And these fixed stars are signs, fixed signs in the sky to provide direction. But, but, a wandering star will lead you astray. They have no fixed position. Friends, false teachers have no creed or confession. They have no doctrinal statement. You can't pin them down doctrinally on any positions or on their beliefs. They're wandering stars, theological wanderers. I, I personally like denominations. I think they're great for us. Do I like doctrinal statements and creeds and confessions. And, and I'm very skeptical about people who say no creed but the Bible, just me and my Bible. People like this often turn into the, they, they, they turn the Bible into a wax nose. And, and, it's, and it can be contorted into, into whatever they like. Now, wandering stars here could also refer to shooting stars. And we go, oh no, shooting stars are so beautiful. But they might be shooting stars in as much as they're a flash in the sky. Short bursts that quickly fizzle out, disappear into the blackness of the night sky. These wandering stars, these these flashes in the sky are never around for the long haul. Their ministries are short-lived and they are ephemeral. And these, Jude says, are reserved for blackness and darkness forever. What a way to say something. Blackness and darkness forever. They are kept in reserve. They are kept in reserve for blackness and eternal darkness. Look at again verse 4. Marked out long ago for this condemnation. And, and literally, this text says this, predestined to this, the condemnation. Now, some of you grammarians in here, you'll notice the emphatic use of the demonstrative pronoun this. Marked out for this, the condemnation. Verse 6, reserved in everlasting chains under darkness of the great day. Verse 7, vengeance and eternal fire. My goodness, the blackness of eternal darkness. And so today we've done 13 characteristics of false Christians. Last week we talked about the three marks of marked men. And so for a total of 16, 16 defining features, characteristics of counterfeit Christians. And if you go on to read Enoch, Enoch warns us of such. But let me end this way. 
Let me end this afternoon by preaching the gospel to you. This is good and right. Because I haven't done that. It's been said of Jesus that he was the anti-Cain. Far from hurting his brethren. Far from killing them. He came and laid down his life for sinners. For all and for any who would put their trust in him. He came not to take life. He is the anti-Cain. But he came to give eternal life. He is his brother's keeper. Who came to give life. Not to take it. And he came to give it to those who were in fact already dead. In transgressions and sin. Non-Christian. Come to Christ today. Put your trust in him. In who he is. Trust in who He is. He is the Son of the living God. He is the God-man. He is truly God. And He is truly man. And thus, He can represent you before His Father. Trust in Him. Believe upon Him. Put your faith in Him. In His person. And in His work. Because He came to bring us back to God. And to lead us in the way of truth. He said, he said in John 14, he says, I am the truth and the life and the way. No one comes to the Father but by me. Believe in him. Believe in his person and in his work. What did he do? What did he accomplish? He died on a cross as a substitute. Taking upon himself the sin of all who would trust in him. Your sin, if you believe today. He died a gruesome death and a bloody death on the cross, absorbing in Himself all of God's holy wrath. And He rose. He rose surprisingly and victoriously from the grave, demonstrating that God had accepted His sacrifice and that He was truly God. Death could not hold the life giver, the sinless Son of God. He rose for our justification to save us from death. And He offers eternal life, forgiveness and reconciliation with God. To all and anyone who put their trust in Him. Do not delay. Delay no longer. For there is no other name under heaven given among men. Whereby we must be saved. Believe thou in Jesus. And you will be saved. Let's come to God in prayer. Good and gracious God, we tremble as we consider the way of Cain, the error of Balaam, and the rebellion of Korah. We tremble in fear because as sinners we confess that we have been on that road, Lord. We have committed that error and we have felt that rebellious spirit in our hearts. These sins are not far from home. We can see them in our hearts. They are very familiar. We confess that we are prone to wander, Lord. We feel it prone to leave the God we love. Our hearts condemn us. But you are greater than our hearts. And we have placed our confidence in you, our God and Father, and our Lord and Savior. And so even though our hearts condemn us, all of our confidence is in your word. And your word tells us and instructs us to believe in the name of Jesus, your Son. By your grace, this we have done and will continue to do. Keep us, we pray, 
and hold us fast. Guard us from sin without and from sin within. Preserve us, O God, for we have put all of our trust in Thee. Show us the path of life in Your presence is fullness of joy. At Your right hand, pleasures forevermore. This we pray in the name of Christ our Savior. Amen.